Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's word together. Happy autumn solstice. Is that the right word? 22nd day of September, year of our Lord, King Jesus, 2022. Yes, Brother Martin, I figured that uh, title would get your attention. So we'll see. Bring your best stuff today. We'll, we'll see. It's great to be with you all as we continue to study the book of Isaiah. It's going to be some some uh, some challenging things, maybe, depending on your uh, your perspective. But first, before we jump into that, today's a good day, not just because it's the first day of autumn. I know some of you people love the cool air that comes with autumn in most climates. Not just because of that or anything else going on. Today's a good day because Jesus Christ is reigning and ruling, and he made this day, and all that occurs on this day, he made it. So, let us declare together that we acknowledge that. Ready? This is the day the Lord has made. And you say, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Ah, let us rejoice. It's a good day. All right. So we're working our way through Isaiah. We're in chapter 49. And yesterday we left off with a call to celebration and joy. Here's what verse 13 said. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Bring forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. So you've got heaven, you've got earth, you've got mountains. Everything in the universe is being summoned to rejoice and celebrate. Why? For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. This follows on the servant, if you remember, the servant who we now know is Jesus, is uh, announcing that the Lord has told him that he's going to have victory. And there's he's going to have a mouth that is uh, like a, a sword that's going to conquer his close enemies. He's like a choice arrow that is going to go to his far places, and he's going to have great victory. And it's a cause for great celebration. There's a, a point at which the servant thinks, maybe I have failed because Israel doesn't respond. Uh, we looked at some of that, maybe a sentiment from the cross kind of idea. But then God says, no, no, you're thinking way too small. I will bring about my deliverance that I've spoken of. And it's way beyond Israel. The whole world is the target. He's going to bring people to Zion from the whole world. This is not just about Israel. So that's where we left off. So Zion responds. And here we have through the rest of this chapter, uh, the personification of Zion. Zion is another word for Jerusalem. We were first introduced to Zion back in Isaiah chapter 2. And remember there, it was a very optimistic uh, setting where Zion was going to rise up, the mountain of the Lord and the, the house of the Lord is going to rise up and all the nations were going to stream to the city. So we see a similar thing going on here today. Zion, though, has a response to this message of hope. Here's what Zion says. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. So remember the original audience of Isaiah, <clears throat> they are exiles, or at least they're going to be exiles, right? So the original audience were those who were 
in between the fall of the northern kingdom and the fall of the southern kingdom. But then for centuries, the Jews remained enslaved in exile to the Babylonians and then the Persians and so on. And so you can imagine the, the, the generations as they are still in bondage and they read Isaiah. They remember all the things Isaiah said a hundred years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, and all this message of hope, all the world's going to come. And Zion's saying, but we're still enslaved. We haven't realized all the things Isaiah said. The Lord's forgotten us. He's forsaken us, right? God says, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? If you are a mother or if you are a husband who's watched a mother or if you had a mother, <laughs> which I'm assuming is most of us, we understand that. There is something about the bond between a mother and her child when she's holding that child close and nursing that child. Uh, there's a, a bond there, compassionate forms for that child that is almost unbreakable. But it's not entirely unbreakable, is it? We all know stories where mothers have nursed their child and then turned against the baby and lost that compassion. It does happen. God says, even these may forget, but I will not forget you. It's possible that a mother may turn against her child, but God will not forget Zion. And notice this, behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Now, what do you think that's about? What comes to your mind when you hear God say to Zion, the holy city, I haven't forgotten you. I've inscribed you on my palms. I've engraved you on my palms, the palms of my hands. What do you think? What do you think? Let me see what uh, Lucina is saying here while I wait to see if you have a uh, a thought of what that might be. Lucian says, uh, much appreciation for your videos and subjects. Uh, really sorry for all the sudden off topic. <laughs> um, let me come back to that. Let me come back to that later on. Let's, let's stay here for a moment. So do you have any thoughts? What, what might God mean when he says, I, I can't forget Zion. I, I I'm, I'm never going to turn on you. I have you inscribed in the palms of my hands. I don't know about you, but I cannot help but think about the cross. The nails driven to the cross. I picture that scene where Thomas says, I don't believe Jesus is alive. No way. I can't. I cannot believe it. And Jesus shows up and holds his hands out there and says, look at my, look at my hands. Here, come put your finger in the nail holes, if you want. Yeah, Brother Martin, agreed. The, the cross, that's, that's where my mind goes. And he says, your walls, Zion, are continually before me. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, it may be that he is thinking about the walls of Jerusalem that were crushed and, and toppled by the Babylonians. So he might be saying, I cannot stop forgetting. I can't, I can't, I can't stop. Remember, I can't, um, I, I can't uh, forget that image of Babylon knocking down those walls. So that's possible. I can't forget you. I, I, I remember that devastation. Or he might be saying, your walls that I'm going to build are ever before me. I am going to rebuild the city kind of thing. Either way, he's saying, I, I, I'm not going to forget you. Then verse 17 is interesting. He says, your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. This word builders, if you have, uh, I'd be curious to know what your if you have different versions, I, I uh, read out of the uh, New American Standard. I prefer the 1995. Um, and there's a little footnote here that says uh, builders is what some versions have. The, uh, the Masoretic text from which most of our Bible is translated in the Old Testament says sons. And there's only a vowel difference between the word son and, uh, and builder here. I'd be curious to know if you want to just put in the comments what some of your translations say, it can go either way. Uh, I lean towards sons because I think it fits better. The flow either works. So he's either saying your builders are hurrying to build up Zion, or he's saying your sons are coming to you from exile. And again, either fit the context. Okay. Uh, I'm going to operate under the assumption that it's sons, but it would still work uh, with, uh, with builders. Lucian says, please don't go post mill, stay opt mill. <laughs> well, we'll see. So either way, so either the, the builders are coming to build Zion or his sons are coming back. But either way, this second part is clear. The destroyers and devastators, they will depart from you. Those who destroyed Zion, they're not going to remain. Lift up your eyes, he says, look around. All of them, either the builders or the sons, all of them gather together and they come to you. So, so lift up your eyes. I see the destruction of the city, but take a look on the horizon. Here they come. Again, either sons or construction workers are going to rebuild the city. Either way, it's metaphorical. This whole thing is metaphorical, and that's you have to keep that in mind as we go because he is Isaiah is shifting here from ethnic Israel to something far greater. Remember, this is all in the context of I am going to call my people from the whole world, all across the globe. They're coming, so we continue to move away from uh, the literal. Uh, destruction of Jerusalem to worldwide and global response here. So either way, it's metaphorical. Uh, they're coming. They're all co either the sons or the builders. They're coming. As I live, the Lord says, you shall surely put on all of them as jewels and bind them on as a bride. So Isaiah loves to mi mix his metaphors. and That's what he's doing here. Uh, again, it's either the sons or the builders. They're coming. And now he switches the metaphor to uh, Zion, you are going to put them on you like a dress, like you're a bride, 
and the sons are coming or the builders are coming and they're going to uh, be ornaments for your wedding dress as a bride. So we can get lost in all the metaphor, but the point is God is saying he's predicting a message of hope here, right? Uh, I have not forgotten you, Zion. Uh, The sons are coming or the builders are coming. They're going to gather together and they're going to be, it's going to be like a wedding day. It's going to be glorious and beautiful. And they're going to cover you with ornaments. For your waste and desolate places and your destroying land, Isaiah is is starting a sentence here and then he just stops. Your waste, your desolate places, your destroyed land, and you're expecting him to say, you know, something about the uh, the buildings, the wall, the city, and he he loses that and he just goes straight to it. Surely now you will be too cramped for the inhabitants. And those who swallowed you will be far away. All right, so catch this. The city, remember this is all Zion. This is a personification of Zion. Zion complained that the Lord's forsaken us. He's forgotten us. And God says, no, 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 no. Here they come. Look up, here they come. And I think the they is the sons, as I've been saying. The sons are coming in, and now he says, there are going to be so many inhabitants of, of Zion, you're going to be cramped. There's not enough space for everyone. And those who swallowed you up, they're going to be far away. See the imagery here? Very hopeful. The children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. You see what he's getting at? Zion is crying out that all of our children have been lost. If bereavement means they're gone, right? They're dead. So it's very strange the imagery here. Zion is crying out, we've all of our sons have been killed. And now Isaiah is seeing those bereaved children, those those children who died. Zion is crying out and saying there are so many of us that is too cramped. Make room, make room. We, we're all squeezed together. Well, that creates a very strange scenario, right? If the children are all dead, where do these people come from? So he says, you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me? Since I have been bereaved of my children and I'm barren. I'm an exile. I'm a wanderer. Who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From where did these come? So Zion is crying out and saying, all my children are gone. They're all dead. Who has borne these children for me? I, I, I don't, I'm barren. I can't have children. I'm an exile. I'm wandering around. I'm enslaved. I'm, I'm, I'm all alone. And, and suddenly, Zion says, We're bursting at the seams. Our our walls are, we're crowded in. There's too many. The Lord says, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my standard to the peoples. I'm going to raise my hand to the nations. I'm going to lift up my, my standard, my flag to peoples all over the world. And they will bring your sons in their bosom and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. You see the vision. 
This is continuing on. It's too small a thing that the servant should be sent just to the Jews, just to Israel. No, I'm going to bring the sons of Zion and the daughters of Zion from across the whole globe. I'm going to raise up my flag and they're going to bring your sons. Who is? The nations. The nations are going to bring the sons of Zion in their bosom. What, again, these strange metaphors, this strange imagery. How, how do you envision a nation, right? What does a nation look like? Nations are going to bring the sons of Zion in their bosom, like on their chest. They're going to carry them close, kind of like, you know, scooping up a, a child. And uh, so, so you've got nations scooping up children, boys and girls, and nations bringing the sons and daughters of Zion to Zion. These are not sons and daughters that Zion gave birth to. Because that's what Zion's been saying. I'm barren. I'm in exile. I'm all alone. I've been bereaved of all my children. And yet there are so many, we, the city can't contain them. Where they come from? You see all the strange metaphors? The point is pretty clear, isn't it? From all over the world. They're going to be people who were not natural born Zionites <laughs> who come to the city and, and the city can't contain them all. All right. So, Brother Lucian, you say, please don't go post mill, stay optimal. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's interesting that you say that. And here's why. Here's why I say this. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exhort you, brother, and anyone who's in that same camp. And I'm going to ask Brother Martin to just contain yourself here for a minute, okay? Here's something we all need to do. When I hear that statement, please don't go post-mill. Uh, here's what I hear. I know that that view is wrong. Well, it may be wrong. But we need to always be asking the question, is my current understanding of this incorrect? right? We need to have open minds that we could be mistaken about things as we study scripture. And whenever you come to a text that pushes against what you currently believe, you need to have the humility to say, maybe my current belief is mistaken. I need to figure out why does this text seem to push against the view I currently hold? It may be that the current text, I, I don't understand it yet, and maybe it fits perfectly well with what I believe, but it may be that my currently held belief is wrong. So I say all that to say, I try to approach every text with the, the thought that I could be mistaken about what this means. My, uh, my, pre, my assumptions on what the rest of scripture teaches could be wrong. I have changed my mind enough times on significant things over the years to cause me to say, I, I've been wrong before. Things that I held firmly that I was convinced of because I have these verses that say something. But then I butt up against these other verses that seem to push against that view. And eventually I was persuaded that I was wrong 
and now I've changed my position. We all need to be able to do that. So I, at this point, I'm not arguing for any view. I'm just saying, uh, Brother Lucian, I would challenge you to be open to the post-mill view. And I would challenge Brother Martin to be open to the idea that the post-mill view may be incorrect. Because we've all got our verses, especially when it comes to eschatology, that we know shows us this is the right view. But I told you before, I can poke holes in every view. I can ask you questions that you can't easily answer. And so we all just need to be humble and, and hold loosely here these views. So with that as a preface, I'm not quite sure what to make of this, uh, this next verse. So again, the, the vision is all these um, all these children filling the walls, filling the city of Zion that the nations are bringing to Zion. And then God says this, kings will be your guardians. Your here being Zion. Zion is going to have guardians, protectors. Kings are going to guard the city. And their princesses your nurses. Interesting. So you're going to have these, these, this royalty, kings and princesses, who are going to guard the children of Zion and be their nurses. Nurse in the, in the sense of um, possibly nursing them at the breast, but also just you know taking care of them, right? Teaching them even. They the kings and princesses will bow down to Zion with their faces to the earth. You see that? Royalty, the vision here is of royalty bowing down low to the ground, stooping over, doing obeisance to Zion. And they will lick the dust of your feet. And you will know that I am the Lord. And God says, be patient. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. What do we do with that? What is, what is going on here? You've got nations bringing the sons and daughters to Zion in mass, in huge numbers, and you've got royalty submitting to Zion, licking the dust of Zion's feet. He says, wait. And then when that happens, you'll know that I am the Lord. Wait, be patient, trust in hope, and you will not be put to shame. So we certainly understand what some of this vision is. We now know that the gospel is going forth to the nations. How is Zion being filled to bursting, to, to having more, more uh, citizens than can fit in the city? Well, that's through the gospel, right? That's the Great Commission. Jesus said it. Go and make disciples of all the nations. That's what's happening. That's the fulfillment of this. 
well, what's the fulfillment of these, th- this royalty bowing down to Zion? At least one possibility that we have to entertain is that it's talking about the governments of the nations of the world submitting to Zion, the church. Now, I wouldn't take this so far as to say this is communicating um, the kind of uh, some versions of postmillennialism teach a, a theocracy. I don't, I don't see that. I don't want that. <laughs> now, that's God's plan that I want it, but you know what I mean? I, I, that, there's too much wrapped up in that. Um, there's, a, there's a group of post-mill guys that are trying to take us back to almost a, uh, a medieval um, uh, church situation. I, I think that's, well, I don't think that's biblical and I don't think that's good. Um, but I can picture some sort of a situation where the, the gospel is, is taking such root in the hearts of so many people that, uh, nations, governments are not hostile toward Christianity, but uh, think about, um, in America, for instance, if, if we were to continue to operate under the constitution as written, but all of those in Congress in the white house and the Supreme court, if they were all believers or a majority of believers, you don't have to have a theocracy to realize how wonderful it would be if our lawmakers were people who love Jesus and wanted to honor Christ. It doesn't have to be a theocracy to see the benefit of that to everyone, right? So anyway, I don't want to go all too far down this path. I know uh, Brother Martin's already asking, what do I understand 321? Probably probably similarly to the way that you do, okay? I, I see Acts 321 is very optimistic, uh, similar to some of these statements here. Uh, but I do... I don't want to. I don't want to put a label on it yet. I know. Call it clickbait if you want. I threw out the post mill. Verses like this do certainly push me toward a type of post mill, um, but not all the way that some would see. Anyway, whatever your view is, so Brother Lucian, whoever you, you got to deal with this. This this imagery of royalty bowing down to Zion, and God saying, "Just hang on and hope, it's coming." He goes on. Can the prey be taken from the mighty man or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? Yes. Right? All the people that are enslaved to a tyrant, can they be rescued? Yes. Surely, thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty man will be taken away. There's no no foreign entity so strong that God can't rescue his people. And the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. For I will contend with the one who contends with you, and I will save your sons. Zion, I'm going to rescue your citizens from even the strongest tyrants across the globe and bring them to you. And what's going to happen to those tyrants? I will feed your oppressors with their own flesh, and they will become drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All the flesh will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. 
And see, this follow-up verse here is what pushes me away from some of the views of post-mill. It seems to me like in the same vision, there are those who are going to continue to try to, um, to oppress the sons of Zion. So this doesn't uh, match up well, in my opinion, with some of the most extreme views of the golden age. And I'm not trying to say that every post-mill guy is there. I'm just saying the way it's often portrayed, it, it sure seems like here the same vision of optimism says there are those who are trying to hold the sons of Zion in captivity and, and they're going to come to a, an awful end. Um, but this isn't quite the golden age that some talk about. So all that to say, we have to reckon with these verses. Whatever our view, there's a lot of optimism here. There's a lot of strength here. And I'm hopeful. I'm optimistic. I'm, at, I'm still hanging on to the optimal position. <laughs> and I see here that God is foretelling that the nations are going to come to Christ. We are Mount Zion. We have come to Mount Zion. The writer of Hebrews tells the first century church that. And so what this says to me, at the very least, is as the, as the kings and princesses of the earth uh, try to hang on to their power, God is continually taking their power away and they're going to bring sons and daughters to Zion. They're, the, the, the royalty is going to, the governments are going to have a role in uh, bringing um, honor to God's people, to the church. Not all of them. There's still going to be resistance. But he says, your redeemer, oh mighty, the mighty one of Jacob, your savior, he's going to accomplish this. And that's how the world's going to know he did it. So what that says to me is, take courage. Right now, you look at, at here, our government in the United States, it's awful. It's awful. I just saw today, uh, Sherry, I don't know if you're with us this morning, but since you don't watch the news, I need to, <laughs> I need to give you your news update. <laughs> that was a funny comment you made yesterday. The, the Air Force Academy, which is just right over there. It's my, my front yard. Um, they're going woke, man. They, they're, they're now telling the cadets to stop using mother and father. Uh, they're, they're trying to destroy anything that might, you know, be offensive to those who don't have a mother or father and, and, and be inclusive. And the DEI stuff is just taken over. And it's just the latest in a long line. Well, that, I have friends that work at the, at the academy. And we know militarily that's going to spell doom if, it, if the military goes woke. It's just you can't function like that. And then all that, I mean, it's just we, we could list example after example. I don't know. If I've ever seen or heard of the United States government being this corrupt. And that's just the U.S. It's all over the world, right? And so it's so easy to become pessimistic and think uh, doom, gloom, it's right around the corner. And that may be true. It still doesn't mean this, this text is not hopeful because uh, we don't know when this is going to happen. No one says this is all going to happen in our lifetime. 
right? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus, and it's been um, almost 3,000 years since Isaiah wrote some of this. Um, we don't know the timing, but we're going to trust in the Lord and take him in his word. Can we see, can I see how God could be mocking and shaming all the, st- the stupidity of all this woke stuff, all this anti-theism that's going on, all the anti-Christianity that's going on, could this be exposing all of that in preparation for a great revival and a pursuit of Christ like never before? Could it be refining the church and exposing all the uh, the tares among the, the wheat? Absolutely. Or it could be that we're in for a period of, of hostility against the church before the kings bring the sons of Zion. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying, let's let the text drive our understanding and let's all be willing to say, I may be wrong. I find, I know our time is up, so I know this is going to raise some questions that I'm not going to answer today, but I find the... Certainly the pre-millennial view, I find this passage here in 49 hard to reckon with a uh, most pre-mill views that I've seen and also with most ah-mill views that I've seen. So if that's your position, if you're one of those two, then I would encourage you to think through, you know, what, how to make sense of this and put some in the comments uh, on this video. I'd be happy to uh, to read them because I'm still working through it. I haven't concluded anything really, but I'm trying to let the text say what it says. All right, let me uh, see one more thing from Brother Martin and then I gotta go. Uh, you sound like you're speaking about a Puritan post-millennialism view, which the uh, goes conquered the world. Sounds like Psalm 2.8. Uh, are you saying the view that I'm somewhat espousing, espousing sounds like post-Puritan uh, view, or the view that I'm pushing back against. Uh, you sound like you're speaking about a Puritan post-mill view, which the goes that governments conquered the world. Sounds like Psalm 2.8. Yeah, I'm not sure if you mean I sound like I'm espousing that view or I'm pushing back against that view. Either way, uh, I don't want to go too much down the rabbit hole of labels. Uh, for my money... Right now, a view that I'm willing to be corrected on, but at least as I continue to see the flow of um, uh, of the text here, it just enhances my optimism. So I'll leave it there. We'll continue to work through it. There's more to come for sure. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. God bless.